Michaels, and I am your host for Guns and Hoses. This is Season 2, Episode 10. Uh, about a month ago, I recorded a special edition, uh, just as a response to people hearing about my heart attack. Uh, I took a sabbatical, and now I'm back. And one thing I learned and heard from people about how my heart attack happened, where it happened, and all of those things was about timing and God's timing. So today I want to talk about that. How important is God's timing in our life? Does he pay particular attention to timing? Well, yes, he does. So I'm going to go through a few verses and then I'll give you some illustrations. Let's look at John 1, verses 1 and 14. God wanted to let us know that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, who is the Word? Well, in, in verse 14, he tells us, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He's talking about Jesus. He's saying that in the very beginning, Jesus was there. God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. We read in Genesis that the Spirit of God moved upon the deep. So Jesus was there in the very beginning, and he became flesh at the right time and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Now in Galatians, the writer goes further. He says, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now, you wonder why did it take so long from the beginning until the time Jesus came for God to send him? There was a lot of suffering going on. A lot of things were happening in the world. The Jews had been in captivity. They were looking for a conquering king. But it wasn't until God saw fit that the time had come that he sent Jesus. It was the perfect time in God's plan. Once again, paying particular attention to God's timing. 1 Peter 5 says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Now, you might be going for a promotion. You may be taking that civil service exam to make the next rank. And you can't understand why it's taking so long. At the proper time, the mighty hand of God will exalt you. When it's the right time, You'll get that job. You'll get that promotion. You'll meet that young lady. First Timothy says, Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you, were made, when you made good your confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gave life to everything in Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about 
in his own time. God sent forth his son at the right time, and he will have his son return at the right time. With all that's going on in the world, we're wondering when will Jesus come back? There are wars and rumors of wars. There is suffering. There is corruption. And we cry out, Lord, do you see what's going on? He does. And at the right time, he will send his son to gather us up and take us home and to set right the wrong that has been done on this earth. Ecclesiastes. Now you've heard the song, Turn, Turn, Turn. The birds did it. Others did it. It's based off of Ecclesiastes 3. Not just good songwriters. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. That's pretty all-inclusive. What the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying is, all things have a specific time that God wants them to happen. A good example of that is the story we find in Esther. Our church has been going through the book of Esther, and on Sunday we hit chapter 6. And essentially, in Esther, what we find is there's a king... Xerxes, that loves the power and all of these things. And he's a guy, got a man named Haman, who's his right-hand guy. Haman hates Jews, and he's got a plan to exterminate the Jews. And one that he hates in particular is Haman. He despises Haman. So, he had a plan. He had gallows built 75 feet high from which he would hang Haman. The day was coming. Esther had set up a party for the king, for Haman, for Mordecai, her uncle, whom Haman hated with a passion. Well, the night before the second of the parties, the day that Haman's plan was to kill Mordecai. The king couldn't sleep. So he ordered his book of Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought out and read to him. Now, previously, Mordecai saved the king's life. The king had forgotten about that. And in the record, 
he found that Mordecai had exposed two men, the king's officers who were guarding guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate him. They were going to kill Xerxes. Well, the king says, well, what honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? The king said, who is in the court? Well, guess who was in the court? Haman, the man who hated with a passion Mordecai. And the king asked, what has been done? They said, nothing. So he called in Haman. His attendants answered him, said, Haman's standing in the court. He said, bring him in. When Haman entered, the king asked, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Well, you can never guess what Haman thought. Oh, man, it's coming. He loves me. I'm going to get some kind of honor. So Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? So he answered the king, for the man the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe. The king has worn and a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on its head. And let the robe and horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe that man the king delights to honor and lead them on a horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Go at once, the king commanded Haman. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai, the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. God's timing. Haman was planning on killing Mordecai. He hated him. But somehow the king couldn't sleep the night before. And he just happened to read where Mordecai had saved his life and never been honored for it. You know, there are times in our work that we do good things. But it just seems to be forgotten. Or, in, in some cases, somebody else takes credit for it. God saw what was happening to Mordecai. And he kept that king from sleeping so he would realize nothing was done. And the king decided to honor the very man that Haman despised and was plotting to kill. What timing? The day before. Had God not had that timing? Had the king not been awakened or couldn't sleep? Mordecai could have easily been killed because that was Haman's plan. And he was going to carry it out and the king would not have cared. You see, God has a plan for each of our lives, even when we think it looks the most hopeless. Now, I'll tell you how this works in, in real life. I grew up in Norfolk, Virginia, and lived with my grandparents for a number of years and went to a school district. But then I moved with my dad and stepmother and moved to a different school district. Well, I couldn't stand living with that stepmother. I mean, she made Cruella de Vil uh, look like a, a princess. And she was mean. Oh, boy. So I, I moved back with my grandparents into 
my previous school district and ended up at Willard Junior High School. So here I am at Willard in the ninth grade, the only year I would go to Willard. I've been in Norview in the eighth grade. I went to Willard in the ninth grade and would go to Maury in the tenth grade. Well, I was sitting in homeroom, and this young girl stood in the doorway, and I tapped the guy on the shoulder in front of me. I said, man, who is that? You see, I can still see in my mind's eye this beautiful young girl with platinum blonde hair with a yellow blouse on with a round collar and a blue A-line skirt. And the light was shining behind her. She looked angelic. Yeah, I was Twitterpated. So I said, who is that? He goes, that's my girlfriend, Chris. I said, well, I'd love to meet her. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, he said, okay. So he introduced me. Now, once they broke up, which wasn't long after that, I moved in. And several years later, we ended up getting married. Now, Think about God's timing. Had I not left the Norview School District and gone to Willard for that one year, I likely never would have met Chris. But I did. God moved me there, orchestrated that whole thing so I could meet my wife. We've been married 47 years now. Her old boyfriend got left in the dust. <laughs> yeah. That's the way it works sometimes. Well, more recently, um, as I've mentioned earlier, I had a heart attack. Well, the thing that makes this so interesting is God's timing. I had ignored signs for three or four days. And the way I was describing them didn't sound like heart issues. It sounded like a pulled muscle or it sounded like indigestion. I'd eaten some spicy food a couple of times. But, the Sunday before my Tuesday heart attack, I went with my son driving his forerunner up to West Virginia to take it to his new home. And uh, on that Sunday night, we went to Buffalo Wild Wings and I had pain. I thought, well, it's, it's the food, it's spicy. And the next day I drove back, rented a car and drove back to Nashville down Interstate 65 where there is nothing. If I'd have left Charleston, West Virginia and had a heart attack on 65, there would have been nothing significant available to help me out. I'd have been alone. But as God would have it, I made it back to Nashville, had pains that night, had already called in for a doctor's appointment on Tuesday morning. I got there Tuesday morning, my wife drove me, and there was a meeting. The doctor's office was having a staff meeting. So we were sitting outside waiting to be let in. Sitting next to me was a cardiac anesthesiologist. Well, the pain came back pretty harshly. And I put my hand up on my chest and I told my wife, I said, man, that pain's back and it really hurts. And the good doctor said, you're having chest pain? I said, I am. I've been having it for a few days. He knocked on the office door. He said, you need to get this guy into the, to the back pretty quickly. So they took me to the back. They hooked me up on an EKG. 
And it wasn't long at all before the doctor came in and said, you're going to Vanderbilt ER right now. I said, good, my wife's here. She can drive me. He said, no, no, you're, you're going by ambulance and they're on the way. So in the ambulance, I went. Funny thing, uh, we're driving along and um, my phone rang and I answered it and I'm in the back of the ambulance. They're tending to me. And the guy on the other end said, hi, is this Rob Michaels? I said, yeah. He said, well, I was given your number. I need to talk to somebody about uh, getting some counseling. And I said, I need to ask you to do me a favor. I'm in the back of an ambulance, apparently having a heart attack on the way to the hospital. Can I give it to one of my colleagues? And he said, well, of course. He said, but can I pray for you? So on the way to the hospital, I got an untimely phone call from a guy that wanted to pray for me. I got to the hospital, they wheel me in, and what began in the doctor's office escalated pretty quickly. So they started doing blood tests. One of the residents came in and he said, we'll probably put you up in cardiac cath tomorrow. You'll stay here tonight. And a doctor walked in right behind him and said, no, no, he's going to the cardiac lab now, this is emergent. Apparently, uh, when they measured my enzymes, which are supposed to be less than one, I was at 8.7 and climbing, which is not good. And so they took everything but my socks and wheeled me right on up to the cardiac cath lab. Another incident of how this all worked together is some years ago, my wife worked at Vanderbilt. And she happened to know the manager of the floor where they send cardiac patients. My son actually used to work on that floor. He too is a nurse and a cardiac nurse. So both of them called that lady and said, hey, listen, can you get Rob into a room on that floor? Because the hospital was filled. And in the cardiac cath lab, when they were getting ready to wheel me out, I was still kind of woozy. I heard a nurse say to the other nurse, well, where are we going to put him? We don't have any rooms. And the nurse says, uh, well, he must be somebody's dad because they've already got a room waiting for him. So I ended up on 5 South at Vanderbilt in a very nice room. Thank you to my son and my wife. And uh, for those there that uh, they knew. But you see, it was God's timing that I would be in that doctor's office when it actually occurred so that he could attend to me right then and there and send me to Vanderbilt. And once I got there, I had a 90% blockage. They put a stent in. They did a balloon on another artery for 85% or 80%. Um, within an hour of arriving, I was in the cath lab. They just so happened to have finished a case and had an opening. God's timing. You see, it says God works all things together for the good of those who love him in Romans. God worked that out for me. I could have easily died on Interstate 65 with a heart attack. I could have died in my sleep. Any number of things could have happened. 
looking back and surviving that incident, it makes me realize God wasn't through with me. There's more to do. When God intervenes in your life, it's not happenstance. There's a reason. There is a purpose. For every season, there is a time. It was my time to experience that and to realize God's call continues. You know, serve and protect is not about me. It's about those we serve. It's about the team that we have. And this will go on no matter what happens to me. But I know when whatever happens, happens. When I, my time is done, I know where I'm going. I'm going to be with the Lord. Because there was a point in my life that God had a call on me. He drew me in through His Holy Spirit. In fact, it was his timing because a friend of mine, my old partner, Drew Grant, invited me to Tabernacle Church in Norfolk to hear a speaker, a guy named Dan Nahan. It was because of what I heard with Dan that moved me to leave law enforcement and go to Columbia Bible College and start my preparation for what I do now. Had I missed that meeting, had I said, nah, I'm not going, I may have missed God's call. But God puts things in our path. He recalculates our route. He sends us on a different direction, if we're listening, to accomplish, accomplish His good and perfect purpose in our lives. A friend of mine, uh, just recently, I mean, around the same time I had my heart attack, went into the doctor's office. He was not feeling well. The doctor was examining his heart and had him under and put the dye through his veins. And this friend heard the doctor tell his girlfriend, I've never seen anybody alive with this condition. So this friend was sent to the hospital right then and there and they did quintuple bypass on him that afternoon. He's doing fine. But the doctor said he was only a couple of days away from dying had he not gotten the help. Now think about that. He wasn't feeling good, went in for a doctor's appointment. The timing was perfect. My friend benefited from God's perfect timing. It saved his life too. You know, I'm not sure what you're going through. I don't know where you are in your life. I know where we are in our country. Many of us are concerned about where we are now and where we're headed. We see corruption at the highest levels. We see the impact on our nation of child sex crimes. We see injustices go unchecked. My friends, this is not done out of the watchful eye of God. 
in God's perfect time, He will make all things right. I wish I could tell you when. I'd like for it to be today. I'd like to get news today that what was done wrong has been made right. You see, where we look towards the future, God's already been in the future. He knows everything that's going to happen. I mean, think about the children of Israel. He could have sent Moses into Pharaoh and just said, let my people go, and they let him go. But no, God took them through plagues, a series of them, until Pharaoh finally reneged and said, okay, get out of here. Take all the riches. Go. But there was a purpose in that. There was a purpose in the children of Israel getting right up to the Red Sea. And Pharaoh's army coming, chasing down behind them because Pharaoh had a change of heart. He wanted everything back. And the children of Israel were moaning and groaning. We should have stayed in Egypt. We should have, we should have surrendered to the Pharaoh. What have you done to us, Moses? We get like that a lot, don't we? Not wanting to wait on God's timing. But what did God do? He didn't tell them to swim across the Red Sea. Moses put his staff in the water, and the water parted. They walked through on dry land. And when they got to the other side, the waters closed and swallowed the forces of Pharaoh. Their enemy defeated. My friends, no matter what you're going through, God knows, and God cares. Too often we gripe and moan and groan about what God is allowing us to go through, yet He knows, and He will part our Red Sea. He will provide a way. He will look to hope. You know, as it regards our nation, Scripture says, If my people who were called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and repent, I'll heal their land. There are two issues here. You know, one, repenting means turning 180 degrees from where you were. It implies that you were surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. That's hard for some of us to do. We don't want to give up control. We don't want to admit that we're not the final authority in our life. We want to be our own boss. You can hear those words. You're not the boss of me. On the other hand, we have an opportunity to surrender our lives to the creator of the universe, the one who sent his son to die for us, whose spirit moves about the earth, and when we turn to Christ, his spirit comes to live in us, to bring us comfort and peace and direction, or we can be on our own and suffer the consequences. 
I would challenge you today, call out to God and ask Him to show you truth. Ask Him to give you wisdom, for He'll do that. For me, that was done many years ago. Now, does that mean you'll be perfect? No, I'm sure not. But I'm saved. I know that in the end, I'll be going to heaven. I know between now and then, God gave me an extended time to continue the work that He gave me to do, whether it's serve and protect where we're getting therapists for public safety and medical professionals, or doing these Guns and Hoses podcasts. We have a small audience, but that doesn't matter. My hope is that the words you hear and the truth I present will help you in your life. God bless you. I pray that you'll join me in praying for our nation. Pray for those who keep our nation safe, the military, because they're under attack by a liberal, corrupt administration who wants to punish anybody that disagrees with them. Our law enforcement is under attack. Last week, we had four officers killed in a 24-hour period. Yesterday, we had a governor who sent out a memo and called police officers racist killers. Now, what do you think that does to the weak-minded, bitter, and hate-filled people who already want to get after police officers? It empowers them to go out and kill. You don't think that's correct? Look at what happened in New York when they marched through the streets and said, what do we want? Dead cops. When do we want them? Now. There was a man attending that march who left and went to Baltimore and shot his girlfriend, took his gun, went back to New York City, found officers Lou and Rayal sitting in their patrol car, minding their own business, and he executed them before he committed suicide. You saw the marches, pigs in a blanket, fry them like bacon. Subsequent to that, we had quite a few police killings. I've got an article coming out called Presumption of Guilt. Law enforcement doesn't enjoy constitutional protections of innocent until proven guilty. At least that's the way the media and politicians approach it. They assume the officer is guilty and challenge the officer to prove himself innocent. And that is the very opposite of what our founding fathers believed. Everyone has the right to a fair and impartial trial. My friends, our nation's in a tough spot. Pray for our police, I beg of you. For the firefighters, for those that work in corrections, for the dispatchers who are the front line who get that first phone call, for the doctors and the nurses, 
that see tragedy every day. Thank you, and I promise I'll be more frequent with these podcasts. At least I hope that's encouraging to you. Have a good day. God bless you.